almost everything that happened that year is a little blurry. So I'm ruining his night tonight. Probably because he's got kids in bathtubs. Again, I told you I like really weird stuff, so that was right in my alley. Watching him just eat random things, that uh, be incredible. Did she give you a restraining order afterwards? The Daywalker. I've got plenty of pictures of different points. There are many stories to be shared about that place. Were you prejudiced against vampires? Really weird, like off the wall looking stuff. It may have been burned in the ground, who knows? It's another day at the office. When they threw in packets, I was Hello like, Hello okay. and welcome to Movie Smash! And welcome to Movie Smash, the podcast that looks at comic book movies outside the MCU that you may or may not remember. If you're the type of person that enjoys talking about hidden gems or just likes to tear old movies apart, this is the place for you. And with that, let's get started. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Roberts. I'm the founder of Off Panel Creations. With me today, I have Jeremy Parmentier. Hi, I'm Jerry Parmentier of the Retrovaniacs podcast. And also, I go to the same gym as Pearl the Record Keeper. And Fergal Mayo. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to top that, but I'm Fergal Mayo. I am owner, imagination, emporium, person of Gotham Knight Comics. And I wish I could be a vampire killer, but I am a damn fear. So not quite learned the skill yet, but I've got the traits. And with us today, we have a guest host, Joffrey Cotton. What's up, everybody? I'm Joffrey Cotton, and uh, I'm the um, owner and founder of uh, Kingdom Comics. I'm self-published writer, creator. Um, I do a little bit of everything, buying, selling, trading, cleaning, pressing, submitting, everything in between. So, I'm glad to have you with us tonight. Our movie tonight is 1998's Blade. Uh, it stars Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson, and N. Bush Wright. Directed by Stephen Norrington, and writer was David Goyer. Before we jump in the movie, how familiar were you guys with these with the character of Blade? Oh, I was super familiar. I mean, I love Blade. I, I, you know, I it, it was, you know, first off as a African American, seeing that representation in comics is always great for me. But beyond that, um, I just thought the character was dope. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, fun fact they used to not let vampires into Marvel, so that sort of changed with the Comics Code Authority. They let vampires, and that's when Marv Wolfman created this comic. And I just think it's just had so many cool iterations. Uh, for me, um, it was 1998 when it came out, I believe, and I was 17. Um, I had kind of transitioned away from comic books and sports cards and all that, and I was into girls and hanging out and partying and doing, you know, being a community and a high school kid, you know. And um, um, so I had, I had that, that was out of there. But I always, I always maintained like a certain level of um, like nerdiness, like awesomeness inside of me, like you know, like that 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 little Jedi inside of me or whatever was always kind of there, you know. And so, um, I, I, of course I went and saw that blade when it came out and, um, I think American werewolf in London, I think had come out not too long before that. And so, um, I was, I've always been into like the monster verse and stuff like that. And to find out that Marvel that was, had this, I hadn't, I didn't know who blade was. I had no idea. And, um, to, to see that Wesley Snipes portraying him and just when it came out, it was just like a big game changer for me. And the fact that it was rated all, it was like, it was really cool to find out that Marvel had these kind of characters and stuff. And even until recently, when I did, got back into comic books, I didn't even know much about Blade and come to find out his origin is a lot different than they had it in the movies. And it's even cooler than in real and the, the Tomb of Dracula stuff. And so I'm excited to see what they do with him moving forward, you know, and but the, the first movie was just awesome. There's so much cool stuff to talk about for it. So. Well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I love it. It's a, it's a big at the at the end when we talk about how it what you know the, um, what Chris had mentioned earlier about the last the, the final sound off. You'll see. I have it's got some special meaning to me. Yeah, I saw it uh, when it was new, and I did not know. I knew Blade was a comic character, but I didn't really know him very well. Since then, I've I've delved into Blade as a, as a comic character and a little more about it. But at the time, I just knew he was a Marvel character. But it was more that it was you know I'm a horror movie guy. This was kind of a crossover horror movie comic guy with my friends that like comics. So it was a good kind of group movie night. Uh, so I definitely did see this when it was new, but I was not super familiar with him. Yeah, when this movie came out, uh, J- Jeremy, I was the same with like you're saying. Um, I saw this more as a vampire movie. Um, and that was there was sort of a renaissance of vampire movies coming out at the time. I didn't know it was a comic book at the time. I had no idea who Blade was. All I knew is it was it was Wesley Snipes. So it's right. good. Yeah, Wesley Snipes was in his prime back then, man, rocking and rolling, kicking ass. That's fifty-seven, bro. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. He made a bunch of good movies, man. <laughs> the Fugitive. That's a great one. Do you guys remember when you actually saw this movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's actually one of the. T- 
top memories of going to a movie with my brothers. Um, brothers, friends, like 20 of us, we got very chill. Uh, this is before Michigan made chill legal. So we got super chill and went and saw that movie. And I just, I mean, from the first scene, from the way it goes, from the rave scene, because at the time, rave was huge when this movie came out. So if you wanted to catch a rave, you can catch a rave. So this was just absolutely chill. And obviously, Tracy Lords, my goodness, that was an interesting first scene. I remember going to see this in the theater because I did go to see it in the theater. But uh, 1998 for me is when I turned 21. So almost everything that happened that year is a little blurry. So I do remember seeing this in the theater, but no specific memories. I don't. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it after it was right around the time I was graduating high school or so. Um, I had a buddy's house we'd always go to and we'd super chill out, so to speak. And um, we, I watched it there at their house. And I remember that just that rave scene at the very beginning, though, just set that movie off like the blood coming down out of the fire I um the water and and it, it just every the way that uh david goyer i did i just heard you say that i didn't even know he's the one that was responsible for um, behind the camera or whatever and um he's great so i can see uh, that they had that good horror element in in there you know um built into that and then um but yeah that intro was just awesome i, I was so inspired by that that um i went on to do a little short story that kind of is in the same vein and um, the only, another good time that happened was like a, a Hellraiser. There's a there's a scene in one of those movies where they capture everybody inside of this club, and it's real wicked. The Cenobites take over, and it's awesome. So yes, it is. I know that scene too. Great, 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 great atmosphere that they created there in the very beginning. You know, like you, Jeremy. That was the year I turned 21 as well. So who knows? When I saw that movie, it was I just know it was in the Greenbelt Theater in Maryland. I don't know anything more than that. Just that was the theater of choice at the time. Um, is that theater still open? It might. It should be. I mean, it may have been burned into the ground. Who knows? Um, I was going to say that theater. I don't know if it specifically is. I, I think they've built a new one nearby that took the place of that old one because that was uh, even then kind of a rundown theater. In, uh, in it, it was a mall that had a police station right next to the, the movie theater. So, well, that's always a positive. That's a good place to start with. That's how you you know the event's going to be a fun evening when that happens. There are many stories that can be shared about that place. But back, back to Blade. <laughs> For the movie as a whole, what was your experience around this movie? Like Jeffrey, I just think that it was, I was blown away. I mean, for not, you know, I, I was one of those guys that, you know, I, a bit of a closet nerd, chased a lot of girls, but I loved Marvel. I always loved these characters. And so movies like Howard the Duck, great movie. Other movies are coming out, you know, just kind of check them out. A lot of dumb movies, right? And then they bring this movie out and it just, it sets it off in a way that up until that point, I don't think Marvel did well with, right? Like that was the first breakthrough movie that just took it all and started from beginning to end and did not slow down. They just kept up with badass scenes for the entire movie. So yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Did he? Did, does anybody know? Did he have that his his sword and his katana blade in the in the movie? That's a good question. Did he actually? Did that? Was that something that they made just for the movie where the where it shoots out and and cut, cuts up the person's hand? Or did he? Is there a precedent for that in the comic book? So that's a great question, and that's part of the fun facts. Um, so Marv Wolfman sued Marvel before this movie came out because he was like, "What? I'm not getting paid. Come on, man!" And uh, Marvel had changed the story enough to win that lawsuit on Nova and Blade. So they won that lawsuit. So that is strictly a comic. Um, that's strictly like a movie thing. There is more weapons, but now Marv did get it one up in the you know because he did create further versions and he did get famous through that lawsuit and through other opportunities and calling attention to it. But yeah, that was crazy. So now that's just strictly for the movie. Yeah, it's for the movie's sake. Before we jump into things, yeah, Goyer, the the writer of this, actually had a, a list of every piece of gear or technology that he created for Blade. And that was one of the pieces you'll create. But for, we sort of touched on this. Fergal, do you have any sort of background for us about this movie, about the comic book before we jump into the movie itself? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, created by Marv, uh, Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan back in the 70s. Um, you know, background at that point, you know, up until that, you know, early 70s, Marvel didn't even let vampires. It's sort of a government prejudice. I don't even know. Were you prejudiced against vampires? That's what I was kind of worried about. Because when I was digging into this a little bit, I was like, seriously, there was prejudice against vampires? But they wouldn't let vampires in. And then when this Tomb of Dracula came out, issue 10, super popular, very expensive issue now, um, it just sort of set the whole thing up. I mean, this guy's a damn fear. He's a, you know, it's, it's ranked as the 63rd best comic of all time. It's a comic character. Um, you know, he was actually, interesting thing, he was actually human. Um, in, in the comics, he was granted superhuman strength by Morbius, the living vampire. So he was immune to vampire bites, but Morbius, because he was a, you know, a chemically created vampire, gave him human strength, superhuman strength, multiple awards. Morbius is in a deleted end scene. 
great story all around cool comic you got i love ultimate um blade just wanted to mention that that's the 2000 kind of the offshoot of blade really dope comic and so joffrey you picked this movie for us why'd you choose this one um, it's, it's the first one that came to my, to, to my, to mind, um, mostly because I, again, the character just really resonated with me, um, back then. And over time I've come, become more and more, um, into the, the monsters, the supernatural side of Marvel. Like I had no idea this whole like realm, like it even existed. Like it started the whole wonder and rabbit hole started with the Dr. Strange movie. Like I knew he was always cool, but like, like I didn't know all like the artwork and some of that stuff in there and like the really weird, like, off-the-wall-looking stuff and the adversaries he faces and the situations he's thrust in, into. Um, they're just so different from anything that Captain America or some of these other guys had seen at that time, you know what I mean? And granted, nowadays, everybody's multiversal and has seen and done it all for the most part. But back in the day, though, you know, those guys, like Doctor Strange, Werewolf by Night, and, and Tomb of Dracula, um, Moon Knight, obviously, with that, and, and some of these, uh, even, like, the Frankenstein characters and the vampires and stuff like that. Um, now you got Marvel zombies in the in the mix and all that stuff. So um, it's just, that's a lot of fun to me. And I'm excited to see what the, what Marvel, Disney, what they can do with that. If there's always been these rumors about them maybe doing a, a rated R adult side of their Disney+, Plus, I don't know if that's realistic or not. Um, but I've heard that, 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 that they could be leaning that way. And That'd be awesome if they could just un, 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 you know open up Pandora's box on all that and show like Man Thing and and and, and uh, Jack Russell like where they go you know like what happened after that little special presentation and um there's and mid the Midnight Suns possibly with the Ghost Rider and different versions of him you know and I grew up with uh, Danny Ketch you know so that's that's my guy but obviously there's so many different ones and it's just a lot of, um it, man the um Blade is just it, and again it all comes back to to Blade you know and and Wesley Snipes did an amazing job of really making that character the daywalker you know what i mean like come to life like why is it that all the, the cool characters the name ends in walker you know what i mean well i guess it's just two of them but skywalker and daywalker but that's such a cool nickname you know and it just it stuck it always um stuck with me even 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 up until now like we're talking about it now and um if i had a chance to write i think like one character i think if, if i ever got if marvel just handed me the keys of the kingdom and said here you go do whatever you want to do i'd probably do a um, blade or something supernatural for sure if Disney decides to make a segment of radar movies, they just need to call it Disney After Dark. There you go. <laughs> wow, that is actually phenomenal. They used to have like a they, they they had when I first went to Disney World, they had a play they had Pleasure Island out there with which is a spin-off of the Pinocchio, you know, right? And that was a grown-up place and you could go there if you had if you were adults and you wanted to go have have fun and dance and drink or whatever the heck. Um you go out there and you have a good time and and I think they've shut that down over time, but my point is um there's a way to do it you know just um they got to kind of break out of that that um stigma that they that they're like can't do wrong or the house of mouse or anything that's all like long gone so i don't see why they're even trying to hold that you know over you know trying to hang their head their hat on that still but anyways you know hopefully they'll get it together at some point i've got too many stories about pleasure island so (laughs) let's just let's keep moving along Just a heads up, uh, it, we'll be discussing the plot of this movie, and if, uh, we're going to discuss several elements of the story that might be considered spoilers. So if you've never seen the movie, first go out and go watch the movie and come back, but consider yourself warned. So the movie follows Blade as he's hunting down vampires throughout the underworld in New York City. The movie opens up on this rave. It's very cool. It's a very intense fight scene. Blade is wiping them all out. But one of these vampires survives and is taken to a nearby hospital. Here we're introduced to a recently bitten Dr. Karen Jensen. Blade then takes her back to his his lair, his hideout, to, to give her a cure, make sure she doesn't change. There we're introduced to Whistler. He's the man behind Blade's armory. And now this team of three is set upon a course to take on Deacon Frost, a vampire who's bent upon unleashing the blood god Lamargra. Vampires. They're everywhere. You're one of them, aren't you? No. I'm something else. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. He makes the weapons. I use them. This open season on all suckers. Guys, let's jump into this thing. Besides Blade, who is one of your favorite characters? Deacon Frost. Come on, guys! You gotta agree with me. Stephen Dorff is awesome. Yeah, Stephen Dorff did a great. He's 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 like been like a B list guy, you know, for his whole career, but he really shined in that movie. I felt like so Deacon. Uh, so Stephen Dorff was actually not liked by Wesley Snipes during the filming of that movie. Really? Yeah. yeah. So there was a uh, I 
obviously watch a documentary on this, but the first, okay, you know, you know the scene where, and we'll get into scenes later on too, about where Blade actually confronts him during the day, right? You know, with the whole bus scene, the child, that whole scene. That was the first day Stephen Dorr filmed anything for that movie. Though Blade had filmed most of the movie by that point. So Stephen was sort of coming fresh. Um, everyone else is tired and exhausted. And Blade, uh, at, oh, sorry, and Wesley Snipes at, was one of the producers on this movie. And after they had filmed the scene, he did, uh, Stephen Dorff did so bad. Um, Wesley Snipes pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, you got to step it up. And supposedly at that point, they started not liking each other during the filming of the movie. But then by the end, great performance. And both, it's kind of funny listening to interviews of two of them. Wesley keeps going on about how, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. He was a jerk. And Stephen Dorff is like, Wesley was great. <laughs> yeah. Just another day at the office. Yeah, basically. Steven's a bit of a notorious, uh, not Steven, uh, Wesley's a bit of a notorious perfectionist and he was a sovereign state guy. So, you know, there is still a tad bit of crazy, kind of a little bit Tom Cruise crazy. He's got a little bit of that going on, but you know, they made him actually slow down his martial arts in the movie because he went so fast. They couldn't capture him on camera. So they had him slow it down because his stuff was so real. Um, and he wanted it to be so real. That's an interesting fun fact. You probably didn't know. I did. Oh, you did know it. Uh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> just one that was really fun fun for me was, uh, and it's a, just like an ancillary deal, was, uh, but it, again, another scene that which really stuck with me throughout time has been when they're going to look for the at the Hall of Records and they're in those, there's all those glass panels of this, the, the documents and there's that giant heavy set, like grotesque looking, uh, whatever, vampiric creature that's like guarding that area, you know, it's like his domain and, putting that that uv light on him and like baking him like in front of him and uh that, that's just a fun character who's squealing and making all these weird noises and again i told you i like really weird stuff so that was right up my alley yeah like, pearl I loved it pearl was the name of the character that's yeah, your so. gym buddy jeremy right that's like you guys show up and go to the gym together and following his workout his workout method it's it's that was again when i saw this the first time i didn't remember everything but what i did remember obviously the nightclub scene at the beginning i remember wesley snipes i remember steven dorf and then i clearly remembered pearl the record keeper everybody else was fine like all the other vampires are cool but they they're kind of uh especially if you're watching it with a, a little bit of a, a buzz going on that you might not remember all the things just cool action scenes but those characters i remembered from the get-go and even though pearl's not in there very long definitely a standout one more really quick, um, hop in real quick. There's another one, the other vampire guy. He was kind of a smart ass, like a jerk, and he was always on Blade, like always on his his ass. But every time he would try to stand up and step up to Blade, Blade would smack him down, and he'd look like an idiot at the end. You know what I'm talking about? He was like one of the party goers. He's right, Stephen Dorff's right hand man, like his general. But there's one scene in the in the subway, and they're on that side of the subway, and he cuts his his hand off. He's like looking, and he shows him. He puts his hand up, and he just makes this stupid, silly look, and it was just great. I don't I just loved it, and it's again, it's still stuck with me to this day. But because after he after his hand gets cut off, he realizes like he might be outgunned, and he he burns off on the, the he takes off in the other direction. He's like, I don't want any more of that, you know what I mean? So it, it, that, he was fun too. And then they they replaced him kind of with uh, Ron Perlman, I think, in the second one. He's kind of a similar character, you know. He's always trying to show up Blade, but he's always Blade's always got the you know the one up on him. So yeah, that was Quinn uh, Donald without a low guess the. Uh, yeah, he was in everything for a while. He was. I was. He was on a couple of sitcoms for a while too, wasn't he? Like he just showed up. I don't remember him in anything after Blade. Where did he come from? Like I, the face seems familiar. Oh wait, no, he's in the detective in SVU. He's the, uh, he's a detective in SVU. He's like the lieutenant in SVU. He was the uh, crazy lieutenant. He had a, a sitcom called Grounded for Life that was around the same time, and he was a comedian. Like a, he was a, definitely more of a comic. Even on this, he's a comic a comic foil. But that was more his. You know, he's he's supposed to be that kind of uh, you know not as to Wesley Snipes straight man kind of the comic piece that goes with it. So I did want to go back to Pearl real fast. I mean, Pearl obviously very disgusting, giant blob of a vampire. And the original design for that, they were actually gonna have. Uh, corpses of babies around him. Oh man, that would be great. Because he's too fat to go after anything bigger than that. So they would just bring him children oh. to feed on. But too uh, dark. They, they thought, they thought it was too dark for a Marvel movie. Oh, I pulled that one back. I'm glad they did. Now today, it probably wouldn't even get a second look. But but uh, yeah, I think at that point they pushed every envelope they could in that movie. That's what made it great. I think that's part of the reason why, uh, from the zombies to the way the vampire story, and again, 
just, you know, the fact that there's Lamagra, this vampire entity. What was interesting is in the whole Blood Trinity, the whole kind of three movie plot, you go around to that last character, Drake, um, who he fights in the end of that, you know, you know, Dracula, right? Dracula was actually created by Lamagra as the first vampire. So that's an interesting little. I'm just full of fun facts, bro. Like, that's where I'm at. I'm bringing the noise. You're trying to take my job. I, I, re- I really was. <laughs> I, wanted to out, I wanted to out see you on the uh, commentary, so I was looking at deleted scenes. No problem. Uh, I did like the dynamic of sort of the old vampires and the new vampires. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, and Jeremy, I know you're probably familiar with this, Vampire the Masquerade um, sort of world building that was there. Yeah, I, I I wish there was more of that, and I guarantee the comics and stuff would probably fill in more of that that gap if that's even covered in there. Um, and, and I do like that. It doesn't remind me of the World of Darkness vampire tabletop role playing game where they have the different clans and they all meet together, and uh, that that's a fun game and all. But yeah, it was it was I knew what they were aiming for, but I wondered if I wasn't familiar with that, if I'd have really understood kind of what what Frost was even doing at the start, you know? Yeah, they had that. They had, um, Blade. I think it came out before Underworld, but they, those two movies kind of had very, in a very similar way that they kind of told their stories and um, with uh, Kate Beckinsale and um, her character being the Death Dealer and all that. I really enjoyed those movies too. I feel like they kind of piggybacked on Blade. I think so. I can't remember, but come on, man! It was just Kate Beckinsale in the skin tight outfit you were after. Man, yeah, she's so hot, you know. And, she, and, she, and then she re- repeated it in a Van Helsing, was she was a werewolf hunter, vamp, whatever she was back, and you know then. Her brother was a werewolf or whatever, yeah. That's another good one. I think she's a pilf right now. One little design uh, choice for you guys. In that, that boardroom that they're all sitting in, if you notice, the, the chairs are very high-backed, yes. right? Mm-hmm. A little pointy. If you look at it from a certain angle, it's the, it's the same collar. It looks like the collar that Dracula had in the various you know, iterations of Dracula. The popped-up collar. Was that in the commentary? That was in the commentary. That was a design choice. Wow. Okay. See if we're going to beat me on the commentary. You really were. So that was that's a completely unknown. You would win, honestly. I'm going to put your number in speed dial for that uh, when I end up on that talk show. <laughs> so let's let's jump on the effects on this movie, guys. Um, which effects were good? Which ones are bad? Pearl was good. Uh, no, there's a lot. I think the first scene. I think what made this movie great. And, and again, I, I, guys, Jeff, Jeremy, I know you, Chris. I know you'll agree with me. Is they pushed the realism. It was still not real enough to be vamp. Like you could still believe that a secret society of vampires existed. There was enough that the fighting looked like fighting, and I think that was something that you know when you get that in a way that is done well choreographed, it looks brilliant. Um, burning. I mean, it's '90s. I mean, you're gonna run into these issues on special oh, I forgot, yeah, the burning effect when he would shoot the vampire and they disintegrate. I thought that looked pretty good for the time period, and, and it, got, it, it scaled up. It, no, I'm talking about when I'm talking about when the elder was burned up. When the elder was burned up, that looked kind of fake. Yeah, that was a, a fully CGI shot. That one on the on the beachfront. They, that's I, I agree though that um uh, with, with Fergo um the uh the I like the fact that they stayed that they kept it practical the the effects practical as much as they could especially at a time when CGI was just all the rage you know what I mean like everybody's trying to get in on that you know. And, uh, the Matrix was about to come out, I think, if it hadn't yet. And there was just, uh, that was an explosive uh, explosion of CGI and stuff, kind of like we're going through AI now. That was just, everybody wanted to do that. So it's, for the, the fact that they were able to pull back on that and, and keep it practical, you know, and I think that's a, a big thing of what made what makes a lot of the um, Star Wars mo- movies and shows even now um, good and, and, and uh, stand out from the rest is that they use those um, real scenes and different actual creatures and stuff still, you know, and they don't just throw a bunch of CGI at you, even though, you know, Star Wars just d- don't do, does that a lot lately. Um, they, they still have certain um, directors and people and stories and different elements that, that, that use the practical stuff. And I, I really appreciate and value that. And it's a lost art, I think. So. Yeah, I think honestly, other I do agree. It's mostly the practical effects are good and the combat looks realistic because it is a guy with a sword for the most part. So it's not just, you know, laser eyes or anything it would kind of look a little goofy. Um, but the yeah, the, the scene you talked about is is uh, didn't age incredibly well. And also, I think just the very end scene. I don't want to give away what it is, but the very end scene is CG wise, just just kind of goofy, you know, an arm grows back. And and the actual end scene, you're like, hmm, that was a good choice. Like, it didn't have to do that. It didn't do it for anybody else, just for him. And I understand what the goal was, but I'm sure at the time I was like, that was awesome. But, you know, 30 years later, it's not not as awesome. Well, it's it's interesting you bring that up one up, too, because you guys are talking about sort of like they pull back to do more practical effects whenever possible. They filmed, and Fertile, you mentioned, they filmed an entirely different ending to this movie. And the Blood God was originally supposed to be not he becomes the Blood God, but... 
that the blood god is a amorphous being of blood, right? Sort of a blob that runs around. And it looks, look, according to the director, it looked terrible when it was all said and done. I actually watched footage of it this morning, and it looks like strawberry jam. And it just sort of flopping around. And so they decided at the point, they're like, we need to redo this ending and change this to make it more realistic because we're just not there with the technology for it. They look just terrible. I think they should have kept Mobius the living vampire, though. That was a, a bad choice. You had the same opportunity. You could have kept him on the back as the next vampire was after. That was the one disappointing thing. When I saw that deleted scene, he was up on the on the rooftop looking down as actual comic accurate Mobius. Um, and they didn't let that fly. They just sort of brought him to Davish, you know, in his in you know Russia. Well, according to the the, um, the director, the reason why they made that change about not having Mobius at the end of the movie was because they didn't want to jinx getting a sequel. They wanted they didn't want to set it up too much for that there be a sequel because if they did, then they wouldn't get the sequel and people would be mad at them for not you no know, leaving all these untied you know, threads. So they said we're not going to jinx ourselves. We're going to remove that scene and go with this instead. That if it's if it's a standalone, it can be a standalone. I do want to talk about the the. This ties into the, the effects as well, but that first scene, that opening shot of the rave, what are your guys' thoughts around that scene, that sequence? Well, I mean, you know, I love Tracy Lords. I mean, so, you know, I, I grew up on that. I've actually got to meet her once. So, um, you know. Did she give you a restraining order afterwards? She did not. No. So you'll laugh, but when I was a young man in my 20s, I worked for an entertainment company. We actually got to do a, it was a DVD, straight to DVD movie at the time. This is like late. 90s so yeah late 90s somewhere in that 2000s actually might have been 2000s early 2000s but we did this thing and it was it was in las vegas and right next to us was the porn awards going on so i had never actually you know it was almost like a young man in his 20s getting to see in real life the porn awards and because we were doing the um uh x-files movie we were doing like a green screen take a picture we had a lot of porn stars come over and take pictures in our booth and that was i've got Plenty of pictures of different porn stars and no restraining order to go with it. <laughs> Enough time has passed, I guess. Yeah, seven years of ride. You know, so you're in no trouble. Yeah, that opening scene was awesome. It's uh, the, me being a, a guy that likes horror and um, especially you know, as a writer and, and somebody that creates stories and stuff and, and, and enjoys telling them. I love horror of all out of everything. And um, that scene, how it kind of creates this. Um, trapped helpless kind of suffocating feeling is what really pulls me in and, and it's like there's these odds that blade is going to come out of this alive or just like insurmountable you know what i mean like how is one person going to go in there and take on this whole vampire party legion whatever and you know sure enough he goes in there and handles his business but the way it's all set up um you know, unless you were part of that movie, the first time you see it, you probably, and you, who knows, I, I'll give people more, maybe let me give people more credit. Like maybe you could pick up that what was about to happen. But at the time when I was watching it, I caught me out of off, you know, um, uh, off guard, you know, I was like, wow, that's so cool. I got to see the door slam shut and then the blood's coming down and you're like, realize the severity of, you know, how, what, how deep, you know, how, how, how much uh, of a poop this guy's just stepped in, you know, so to speak. And uh, it was a lot of fun for me. And uh, they just really, like, again, they really set the tone and the uh, pacing for that movie for me personally. Um, direct, I was just kind of hook, line, and sinker at that point. So and it, fortunately, it delivered, though. Um, it wasn't, I was just, you know, um, following it blindly because the movie did hold up and on from start to finish. But yeah, that beginning is just, it's timeless to me. So, Well, I think it does set the tone where it's not just it's blade trying to find one vampire there's a lot of vampires they're everywhere you just don't realize they're there it's this you know it's the they have the the humans trapped in that club in fact he's going to kind of help save and it's like oh this is okay i get it now so it's, it, it makes him a little more visceral a little right more. like they're feeding on humans too yeah that was, that was the cool part about that yeah he wasn't going to save. He was going to kill. That was what his whole purpose. He didn't really go there to save anybody. He was going to kill vampires. Like I think it was just incidental that people were in the club. True, and they just happened true. to catch a guy. And if they were, if they had turned, they would have been at the end of that blade. No pun intended. One of the cool things about that that scene was, you know, it's it's a rave. So you got the strobe effect going. It's flashing. It's going. Once the blood starts flowing, they sync the strobe up with the film frames per second. So. When we're watching it, it seems like a solid light, but they did that because it creates a different effect on the the the, uh, the, uh, the blood spraying out of the sprinklers. Uh, it was very cool when you're going through when they're going through like that. They actually synced it up to the actual camera speed 
to make it come out that way. Wow, that is some hell of a commentary, man. And, <laughs> and the other thing that was that was very interesting is you keep bringing up Tracy Lords for I feel like you're obsessed. I, I I do like I do like a porn star. But the reason why they brought her, uh, the reason why she's there is because the writer and the director were saying they needed a woman to, bring, to be sort of the bait to bring this guy in, to sort of set the tone, set the feel. And they said in the '90s, who embodied sexiness, darkness, and rave culture the best in the world was we'll have her come in and do a, do a, sh- a quick scene for it. And that was the only name they came up with. Well, and just a quick fun fact about her. She actually almost got the role of Ginger for a Martin Scorsese movie. So she's actually a hell of an actress. She, yeah, she was, I mean, she was at the top. She was at the height of it all when, when, from what I remember. And um, I was like, for me growing up is like Pamela Anderson and Kathy Ireland and all those main, like Jenny McCarthy and all that was like, those were the ones that I was um, into, but she, I remember her like being on the periphery of like, the more adult side, the darker side, the kind of wicked side, you know, like she was known for that. So I, I'd imagine that she would probably have been a prime candidate for anything. Uh, but, but although um, from Dusk Till Dawn, her, her counterpart, Salma Hayek, you know, and that, that scene when she does the oh. beer down the leg and the dance with the with the anaconda, with the boa constrictor. And I mean, damn, you know, I, hard to top that. But um, she actually went to a therapist for like six months because she was deathly afraid of snakes. I watched the commentary on that movie. Yes. She could not stand she she blacked out when she did that thing because that was a real snake because like Rodriguez wanted a real snake for that movie. So I can bring my own commentary there, uh, Chris. <laughs> That's another fun one where, you know, in the same vein that, that like that where they the, the vampires have the drop on the, the protagonist, you know, where they're kind of led into this place and and you come to find out like they're really like weighing way over their heads and then that one's got a cool reveal at the very end. They did a cool job with showing like the backside of that temple is like what that club is carved into and all the cars and stuff. And it just makes you wonder like, oh man, well, how many people have come and gone and what is this and how long? And I, I love when they leave it open-ended and stuff like that where you can kind of draw f- from it what you would like, you know. And Blade did a good job of that too, like with the Pearl character. You're like, where is, what is, what is this? Like, where does this, how does this happen? You know, like, why is this person, is she, they're, they responsible for the records and how did they get, like, you know, like, what is, it just makes you wonder and, and, and you know, it con- continues to challenge your mind, you know, to uh, imagine and explore, you know? So besides the opening rave, what scenes stuck out to you guys? The Japanese scene when they're in the club. The Japanese thought, club? Yeah, the Japanese. I mean, first off, that's just, I've, been into a club like that before when I was overseas in the Navy. So I just, I've seen that type of tea club, but, and it's really cool. And just the way they kind of operated that whole thing. And again, it was like sped up. And of course it leads to Pearl. The, uh, their, their choice for that actually was that they originally were going to go with a strip club for that scene, but they chose the tea club instead because they said, what is a silly thing that can happen right now that, mo- that most American audiences have never seen before? And that's what they figured a tea club with a bunch of middle-aged Japanese men watching it, where you're not sure if they're vampires or not. That's about it. That's about as ridiculous as they were willing to get. I like a little commentary you got. It's pretty cool. Did your homework. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jeremy? Uh, again, other than other than the Hall of Records, which I, of course, as a big Pearl fan, I mean, it's going to be what I remember. Um, also, this this play, this watch through, really just the whole end area, whatever that's that that oh, you know, the ancient temple or wherever's there, like that that it kind of. I, when I watched it the first time, I didn't really remember that at all because it's just kind of gray and kind of dull looking at first. But then the more that you, you know, when I watched it this time, I was able to pay more attention because I was completely sober watching in the afternoon. Uh, I, I like that temple because it does kind of tie together the whole reason they're there, you know, to get that that spell or whatever. The the, the power of the temple uh, to to get the, the ultimate vampire, like that whole last section felt out of place when I watched it the first time, but this time I really liked it. So for me, it stood out because I guess I went into it thinking like, I remember not liking the end, but this time I was like, well, you know what? That actually works really well uh, up until that very last scene. There's a, for, for me personally, there's two different things that really st- stuck out that there weren't necessarily scenes in particular, but they're, mo- they're connected to the scenes. Like for example, Stephen Dorff, I believe um, there's a moment when he's wearing, he's meets the, he meets the daywalker out, outside. I think this is what scene you are talking about when he first comes out and he's got, I'm pretty sure he's got like a bunch of like lotion or like suntan lotion on his face or something to conceal his skin from getting burned. So he's able to stay outside longer. Right. Am I, am I remembering that? hundred percent. Right? I thought that was really cool. Very, very yeah. cool. SPF 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, nobody had really uh, entered, entered, uh, had really thought had considered that before when thinking about when doing this. And I thought that was real clever and it's, it made sense. And um, it's, it's for somebody like me that loves thinking about fantastic things in a grounded way, like in reality, like, could this really happen? You know, like um, it's fun to think about like, that's something is, is, that's something cool. And then also 
I can't forget, and we can't leave out his freaking, uh, his car, man. Like, oh my God. I didn't know much about American muscle cars or anything back then. I knew I liked them. They were cool. But I didn't know much about the different types of cars that were in. I saw that. It was a Chevelle, right? Is that what he had? I believe it was like a 76 or something on that. It was, it man, was... that car, that was a mean machine, man. You see him getting it for the first time, and it's like, this This is Blade's car. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wow. It's so cool. But then you throw you throw yourself into, and I think a character that we're not talking about that's critical, Whistler. Because Whistler kept the car, yeah. Whistler kept the weapons, Whistler. And so, I mean, the background on Whistler is dope. And there's a whole background. So they what they ended up doing after the movie became a success, and it really wasn't initially, like, it was received as a success, but it wasn't until, like, later years when it became cult that they were bringing this thing back and it just kept making money. Um, that's what spawned the sequels. But, like, the whole Whistler, they, they drew in the story of Whistler and the background and, um, you know, the daughter Abigail whistler and the night stalkers and all of that was all drawn in from the fact of how they kind of created this movie comic and it really was a movie comic this is one of those comic movies that is really based upon a script written square box we have a movie we have a comic all in one yeah whistler was actually originally created as a part of the blade cameo with the spider-man animated series back in the day that's where he first was created he's not from the comic books and he was sort of like a part of that little cameo. And then they brought him into the movies for this because the CEO at the time liked him. His other name was Joffrey Alfari. Yeah. Well, he's been, you know, the, he's basically the, the Van Helsing of this world, right? The older vampire hunter who's retiring now, bringing on the, 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 the prodigy to take, take over his role. Or like Stick from uh from daredevil and blade was trained by stick just so you know in this in the comics one of the things that he was trained one of the people he was trained by and and actually the comics sort of take him through his confidence his cocky time frame and who he is until he actually almost gets beaten by a female vampire a very 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 old vampire i think at the same this may have been before he encountered dracula so i think this was the second eldest vampire and um it was because of that that he went back because he had relied on his weapons for too long so he went back and trained under Stick. Um, and Stick, so Stick's trained so many of, like, I mean, you know, Daredevil, Electra, all of them. So this ties back into our episode number one with Electra. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. I do want to talk about, and only because of the trivia behind this, but remember the scene where at the hospital, initial hospital, where Quinn has been burned to a crisp. He's being brought in on the, on the uh, gurney. Well, the the actor, Donald, yeah, he's covered in he's covered in like you know burns and all that. Anyway, he falls out of the gurney and breaks his jaw in real life, and they've got to take him to a, they're they're filming in a fake hospital, and they've got to take him to a real hospital, and he looks like a burn victim, and they come into the ER with him that way, and they start panicking and start running around thinking they've got a burn victim. No, no, it's just his broken nice. jaw. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. The makeup was so good that it, they actually thought they had a third degree burn victim. And this is the secret to Marvel's. I mean, this is where I'm going back to the formula. I mean, we 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 make shows because we like movies that don't quite fit into a box. And this is the formula for bringing back success. I think that you know Marvel, when they got so big and they they really broke the bounds with Endgame, and I think they've just been lost in their own way since that movie, since that last film. And this is one of the you know getting characters like this right are ways to kind of reinvigorate the entire back line and bring people back and stop the fatigue that's in the industry. So just to keep us moving forward, guys, tonally, what were some of the tones or undertones that you enjoyed in this film? I like the old old school vampires versus the new vampire. I thought that was really, a, again, they didn't do enough backstory for me on that, but I, I like that feel where it's his whole plan is like, well, yeah, you guys are old. That's why you're hidden out of sight. You don't want to be seen. You know what? We're done with that. We're not going to hide anymore. We're going to go out and take what's ours. And I, I like that part of it. Agreed. Yeah, me too. I, I liked how they toyed around with those those kind of darker, um, more adult under, more adult tones in general. The darker stuff, the way it was filmed and shot, how it had that gritty kind of look, like The Crow. You know, um, um, that's a big selling point for me on like a movie like The Crow, where if it wasn't done a particular way, it's probably not going to appeal to me nearly as much, or maybe to a lot of people. But um, it just had that real dark, gritty kind of look. And um, uh, shoot, I had I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what I was going to say. But oh, the uh, the fact that um, it's kind of like the with the vampires, the old and the new generations. Again, I'm um, coming back to like the underworld stuff. How it's neat to get to see them peel back 
a layer of that and then to peel it back a little further. And they didn't do a lot of that in Blade, not nearly as much as they maybe like in Underworld, but um, to, to know that that was there. Um, and, and that really exposed me to that kind of idea that there's different like subcultures of vampires and stuff like that. And Interview with the Vampire had had come out around that time. And you got to see, um, if you read the books like I did with Anne Rice, you get to see that there's that's also going on like in Europe and different factions and sectors and groups of vampires. And I thought that was really cool how they layered all of that as well. So. I agree. I think just back themes, I think it was just dark. It's, I mean, it's a secret society of vampires. It's a vampire mm-hmm. hunter who, is, I mean, there's no better thought. Like I hadn't, you know, although I knew of the term, I hadn't really understood what a damn fear was and what that actually means because that's such a badge of honor for Blade. I mean, he's a vampire, but he's human. The daywalker. <laughs> daywalker. I love it. I can't say, I can't get enough of that. That, that dude in number, the dude that played the main bad guy in number two, he was great at saying it, man. He's just like, daywalker. Coming down his mouth and stuff. He's awesome looking. So even if they didn't go with Morbius, I thought he was a pretty cool replacement for all things considered without having to delve off into that too much. I'll throw a Vin Diesel to it. (laughs) So pacing wise, guys, how'd you feel about the pace of this movie? Did it drag at all? Did it move along nicely? I don't think so. You had that little bit of origin part in the beginning with his, um, you know, where he had his, his, his mother had been bitten, I think they showed, and then kind of tapped into that with like the hospital stuff and they did it in a very tasteful way though i thought it was moved really quickly and then you get to see and then blade gets to kick ass right after that in the hospital you know and he faces off against the vampire team and stuff and uh gets right back to business it doesn't really deviate too much and drag it out in my opinion yeah i know i've complained i wanted more of the backstory on the the vampire universe but honestly i'm kind of glad it's not there because it doesn't it doesn't get slow at no point am I bored at no point is there a long side plot that I don't want to watch. This was a fun watch start to finish. So it's paced well for this kind of movie. I, I watched it two times, two times in the last week. And both times I can honestly say it sort of flies by when you watch the movie, you don't really notice that two hours have gone by and you just sort of enjoy it because it's scene to scene, to scene, to scene. And you can like, you've got them all named off and we've talked about a lot of them, but it really does, you know, you know, vampire club, she becomes one, she gets cured, bad guys lead to the other club, you know, Pearl, and then just on and on and on and on from there. It's just con- And then it runs right into the end. I love that. Like, And you're right, Jeremy. I think if they'd have spent too much time in the back, they could have got lost in itself. It could have fell under its own weight. It gives you, you know, when they had the records, like this, this, the scrolls and stuff inside of the glass, it gives me personally just, like, just enough to be like, oh, man, there's something there. Like, that's pretty cool. And, you know, and then kind of let it go and just let it be what it, what it is, you know, and, and leave that open to the open-ended, you know? I don't know. I think, Jeremy, you may have enjoyed a, a history lesson from Pearl. Like, he just sits there with, like, a whiteboard behind him. Watching him just eat random things. Oh, being <laughs> they work out together. When, when he gets hungry, he eats a baby, and Jeremy's on the on the, on the <laughs> no-judgment-zone workout place, Planet Fitness. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there with a, with a Sharpie on a stick and just sort of drawing on a board. So, uh, any overarching themes that this movie had, guys, that you enjoyed? Secret Society of Vampires. What's not to love? You keep coming back to it. Yeah. You know, I love the fact that de- that the light would always will conquer the dark. You know, even though I do like a lot of horror stuff, and I do like suffocating, like helpless stories. I like where the bad guy wins sometimes, or where it's left like kind of ambiguous, where it's just like the the, the viewer can or the reader can decide for themselves what might have happened and draw their own conclusions. Where maybe the bad guy didn't die or didn't the you know the good guy doesn't necessarily win. Um, and this this had a lot of that, but at the same time, like Wesley Snipes did such a good job, in my opinion, that. He makes that guy that's this anti-hero type of guy really kind of in a way um, just where you really humanizes him and really makes you really want to um, uh, root, root him on, you know, and cheer for him and, and really get behind him. So, but I, I like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm always going to be a pro- proponent of a, a good, good over evil and the light over the dark. That's always a constant, you know? So overall, how'd you guys feel about the movie? Well, uh, maybe I might. No, actually, it's an amazing ass movie. I mean, I was going. I mean, I mean, there's a roundhouse kick of approval in this room right now. It's an amazing ass movie, and if you haven't watched it, you're an idiot. You need to rent it and watch it. If it happens to come on, I think you should tell your wife to shh, go get you some burgers and watch the movie and enjoy this. Yeah, for sure. At a, at a time when movies were like that, when when um, comic book movies and adaptations were like weren't necessarily that great, like this one kind of really. Came in and, 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 and just took over and just really just, and it didn't even have to try to do it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it was just happened, you know, it just, they had the good team and the good chemistry and it all worked out in, in my opinion. And, um, you know, it's not the greatest thing ever, but at the same time, it's a really cool movie. And if you haven't seen it yet, I'd highly recommend it. 
Yeah, no, this was this was a lot of fun. You know, we, you mentioned Electro was our first episode. We've done that and Ghost Rider, some of the other early Marvel movies. This is easily the best early Marvel movie we've talked about so far. So th- this was a good one. Yeah, I think so, too. I think this is a it hit a nice stride because on a show I was doing earlier today, we reviewed Howard the Duck. So I can tell <gasps> Don't you speak badly about Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, this this movie, I think, began an era of good comic book movies. Like it's the, it's it's what's at the foundation. We'll get more to that in a bit. So I have a feeling I know the answers, guys. But should people go out and seek this movie if they have not seen it before? Yes. Right yes. And I'm assuming you guys would all rewatch this movie again. Yep. Yeah, this was a fun time. For sure already have twice i haven't seen it in a long time it make me want, want to go back and watch it now though i've two and three were coming on like back to back on fx for a while i just put them on in the background and let them go but they weren't those are just those are those are just like shadows of number one in my opinion they were still fun and enter- entertaining to an extent but like number one really is kind of in a league of its own in my opinion so so uh we know there is a remake coming out um what would you like to see happen in that remake given your given your experience with this movie I want to see them do the original. I've heard that through when I was still doing speculating and stuff with comic books and buying them every week consistently and getting into that part of the the the, the um, industry. Um, I had heard rumors that they were going to actually explore his real origin and show him be raised by these by prostitutes. I think in in like 18th century London or something. Um, and they were really going to delve into that and get into Dracula. There's been rumors of uh, uh, Dracula's daughter maybe coming into this this movie and i've also heard though that mahershala ali is making it very difficult for them to move forward or vice versa um he's very like wesley snipes he wants complete control of this character he wants to take this and really put it in a in a, in a on a different level and so he because of that they've had to like cancel scripts or like redraft stuff or bring in new new creators and talent and um it's holding it up i i've i've heard you know i don't I, none of that is concrete but um, I can't wait to see what they do. I think he's going to be a great fit. They just got to figure it out and get it going. You know what I mean? They actually focused on this blade. Is got Mashallah Ali. So you're you're writing a couple things and a couple things I'll kind of correct a little bit. So the 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 part of the issue is that they went through multiple scripts because the movie stopped being about Blade and it became about like he wasn't even top bill and the movie's called Blade. So I think there was an absolute crowd reaction to and Lilith is still a part of this, but Mashallah Ali is exploring the cerebral version of Blade, and so for him, you know, he spent a lot of time on trying to learn the martial arts. Um, from what I understand, one of the things they're trying to do to save this is bringing Wesley Snipes back into this thing. I don't know if that's true, but Wesley Snipes somehow or another is supposed to portray some sort of cameo in this movie, whether it's as Dracula, whether it's something unique, but he's supposed to be in there in somehow. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, and again, with, with him doing the multiverse and stuff and the ultimate blade, like you talked about and everything, like I'm interested to learn more about him, but you, the, the possibilities are endless for what they if they want to go and explore something like best that, version absolutely. of blade you're ever going to read is ultimate version of blade because it's yeah, like, it's like the movie the first movie i have nothing else to add to that so keep going, keep going. <laughs> you guys have that handle i have nothing else like yeah i hope they have a lot of stuff I don't know. for me in the remake that's coming out the one thing i love about this movie is wesley snipes is cool as hell right the blade is cool as hell. This the the the, the lines, the, the his movements. I just hope they don't lose that in this remake, right? Because Blade as a character, for me, is Wesley Snipes, right? I don't care; if it could be played by somebody else. But what he embodied as a cool action star, right? That that moves so fast that the film can hardly keep up with him. That's what Blade needs to be, and it's not supernatural. He's actually doing those moves, right? So I need someone. So it's the borderline of what is what is unbelievable and what is believable and he wa- he walks that line so close so well that i want to see the, it, it when they remake this if they ever remake this just don't lose that feeling well and that's the big problem with michelle ali he's not a natural martial artist he's got everything else but he's not a natural martial artist and that is a very hard combination to then throw into it but it can be done with keanu reeves you know when he did the matrix he wasn't a martial artist now he's like a fourth degree dan of like four different kinds so i mean it just depends on how they choose to take this thing keanu reeves can be applied to any movement and comes out properly probably pretty well (laughs) (laughs) unlike unlike friend of the pod nicholas cage so Ah, another one so using our, our patented fertile system how would you guys rate this movie? I'm going two thumbs and a finger. You only get one. You only get one. <laughs> two thumbs and my foot. <laughs> no, this is a solid thumbs up. This is uh, not even a funny thumbs up this time. It's a good movie. It's worth it's worth seeing. Yep, legit thumbs up for me too. 
Yep. Thumbs up all the way around. So, well, guys, I guess that's our movie for today. So what do you got? Where can people find you? What are you currently reading? What are you working on? Jeremy? Uh, well, as always, you can find me on Retrovania.net for uh, both our YouTube channel, our podcast, everything else, Retrovania. Uh, I'm sure I'll be watching more movies uh, to talk about in upcoming episodes of this. And, uh, of course, you can find me at Gold's Gym with my friend Pearl, the record keeper. <laughs> and Fergal. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm still working through uh, kind of rebranding some of the things with our store, um, but I am actually working on a comic book. So I have been taken by a bit of whim of inspiration. I uh, recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, saw The Beekeeper, um, kind of watched that movie, was intrigued by the thought of it, um, just the idea of an outside organization, start digging, realize there's nothing really there except for what the movies created, decided to create a story. So I'm working that through right now. Uh, I won't tell you anything except they're called gardeners. I'm gonna leave it there. Joffrey, what are you working on? Man, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do comic books stuff for a living. Like I, I buy and like, um, I buy them and sell them online and I, and I, and I clean them and press them, submit them. I have that part, that facet of my business, but more importantly, I, I have started writing and creating and designing you know the covers and, and working with artists and making my own publications and um it's been a lot of fun uh it's costly but uh kickstarter helps out a lot with that and um i've got i've kind of entrenched myself in this smaller part of the community where i can kind of grow and expand and i've gotten a lot of support and a lot of love over over time and um but now i'm right now um things have kind of come it's been two going on two and a half years that i've been doing this and um i've had to reboot stuff and kind of scrap it and move to other things but now I'm at a point where I've got three or four really solid projects that are kind of going to be um, unloaded, unveiled here um, in the next couple of months and stuff that I've already done that's going to continue to get love and recognition and, 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 and shine and um, an opportunity for me to kind of do more with it. Um, but yeah, right now I've got the next Kickstarter is a, a book is going to be about a uh, Russian uh, ex like a special forces guy that's moved uh, relocated to the United States in the early 80s and he ends up getting involved with the Italian mafia. And it's called Cosa Nostra's Comrade, and um, it's going to be on Kickstarter real soon. We got a lot of cool stuff coming for that, so like um, neat little um, incentives and, and and really great artwork. And uh, it's a really well put together story. Um, uh, my buddy Jacob uh, came came to me with this idea, and um, I've kind of taken it and and, and helped him develop it. And we're going to try to bring it to print. So um, any help we can get from that would be great. You can find me at Kingdom Comics. Pretty much anything. It's spelled really weird, though. Um, I kind of tried to be fancy and do a play on words or whatever. And um, it's K E Y N G D O M, and then comics. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can do kingdomcomics.com. I'm in the process of kind of rehauling, um, um, overhauling my website right now. Um, but that'll be, that'll all be streamlined and kicking ass real soon. So y'all be sure to stay in touch. And uh, I'm thankful, thankful for uh, y'all having me out tonight. It was a lot of fun. So. Uh, thanks for being on the show with us too, and uh, we'll make sure we post the links when we share the video as well. I'm sorry, the uh, the the episode as well. Uh, uh, for those looking for me, you can always find me at Off Panel Creations. I'm always doing something neat over there. So if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a review, share it with your friends. If you want to drop us a note, tell us how we are wrong because I often am, um, and make a movie suggestion. Please visit us at movie-smash.com. And thank you guys for listening. Please give us a review and share with your friends. If you want to drop us a note, tell us where we were wrong, or give us a movie suggestion, visit us at movie-smash.com.